Good morning. Blessings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we're going to talk about prayer in the third sermon of a series. The first sermon was about God starts the relationship through his grace in Christ that leads us to pray. Last Sunday was the second sermon, and that one was about God encouraging us that God does answer prayer. He has different answers that are always a blessing, but they're according to his own will. And today, we're going to talk about how to pray. And you know it's not going to focus on the outward as much as the inward, and it's the way that Jesus answered the question, how should you pray? I have to tell you that the art of preaching is a frightening experience. And after 30 years of doing it, I still have the same fears because I stand up here in front of you, a very fallible human being, to speak for the almighty, omnipotent, holy creator of the universe, author of all people, who knows all things about everything. And I would dare to speak for him. Would any human being dare to speak for him? The only comfort I have is the comfort that I want you to have, and that is when we speak according to his word that he has revealed by his Holy Spirit, inspiring people, then we can be confident and speak confidently that we are actually representing the author of the universe correctly. But it dare not be based upon the opinions of people. So when you talk about how to pray, it needs to be based on what God himself said about how to pray and fortunate for us God himself when he was walking on the earth was asked the question and gave the answer there are only two places in the Bible that you find what's called the Lord's prayer maybe when you were a little bitty gal or boy you thought is it his prayer or our prayer when we say the Lord's Prayer, we mean this is the prayer the Lord said demonstrates the content of true prayer. It only appears twice in the New Testament. Undoubtedly, though, Jesus taught it a lot more often. John ends his gospel with, he did and did and said many other things that we couldn't even fill the whole world with the things that he did for us. So he often repeated things. In Luke 11... We're not going to look there as a, a group with the sermon today, but in Luke 11, his disciples notice Jesus has a very real prayer life, and he's a human being and God at the same time, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, and then he gives them what we call the Lord's Prayer. But today, we're looking at a place where he was standing like I am, or sitting on the hillside, giving a sermon, and it was, it was the same prayer. So when he answered people when they asked the question and he wanted to just say it as part of an oration, this is the same prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. So it is important for every Christian to learn to study the Lord's Prayer their whole life so that they are praying to God the way that he wants to be talked to. Right there, I probably lost a couple of you. Because when we think about prayer, 
we, we are all so stricken with this self-centeredness that we all want something that will teach us what will give us the most exciting feeling, insight, mystical experience in prayer. Teach me what I can have for me so I, my prayer time can be a satisfying experience. And Jesus, as he looked across the landscape of all of fallen humanity, knew that's the problem that we all struggle with. And so he said, this is how you pray. And if you've ever studied the Lord's Prayer on how to pray, and you've said, I want to learn what you want me to be praying, Lord, by studying the Lord's Prayer, you will be struck right away with just how God-centered the prayer is. Prayer is certainly a conversation between two people. Psalm 19, we just finished reading, says, Lord, the last verse says, let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight when I pray to you, O Lord. It's a conversation between two people, but one of them is God. So today, I want you to say it with me. Jesus is going to tell us, this then is how you should pray. It's his, those are his words. So say them with me. This then is how you should pray. And I see today three, three focuses in the Lord's Prayer. Some of you have been with me long enough. You know that a long time ago, maybe six, seven years ago, I preached on the Lord's Prayer phrase by phrase. I know I have a reputation of preaching a long time, but that was a really long sermon. <laughs> 48 minutes long with no breaks in the middle. So you can go find it though. And uh, also Luther, Martin Luther wrote a beautiful devotional in his devotional writings. It's on the internet. You can get it from Luther's works, but it's a beautiful phrase by phrase, sermon by sermon on the Lord's Prayer. A lot longer than 48 minutes to read it. And I recommend it, though, that you would go read that. But today I'm going to summarize, and I'm going to show you the three summaries of the Lord's Prayer so that you, when you think about your prayer life, will be buoyed up by them. This, then, is how you should pray. The first one, <clears throat> the first one I've already mentioned, it has to do with, excuse me, <clears throat> it has to do with being God-centered in your prayer. I'm sorry, but just like Caleb in his uh, children's message so beautifully demonstrated, it's very, very easy to be me-centered in any relationship. You have been there when you have been talking with people like Caleb did, where you've, been, you've mentioned something and immediately they picked up on it and started talking about themselves. And you felt left alone like they didn't even catch and they didn't want to know me much better. Now imagine what he illustrated there. Imagine being God. The author of the person in front of you. The one that numbers all of your hairs. Who has the beauties of all of creation that he wants you to enjoy and worship him because of. Who, who has gone behind you and cleaned up all your messes. Who has sacrificed his own son for you and you just want to talk about yourself. Jesus was leading us to these thoughts. I'm, I told you I'm frightened, but I'm, I'm not by myself there to confront you about prayer life so you learn 
how to pray. God wants you to get into God. He wants you to get into it and to understand him. So watch how Jesus says it. Now, I'm going to be reading it out of the folder you have, but it'll be on the screen. You can follow along. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. And he, he, this, this place where he has the Lord's Prayer, there's a two-part two introduction. Before he gives the Lord's Prayer, he sets it up. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the church, the synagogues. And they love to pray on the street corners. They stop for hours of prayer in front of other people. They want to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But I, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will... The first point about being God-centered in prayer is that do not do it as a public display of your piety. He's not saying a pastor should never pray or you should never pray with your family over a Thanksgiving meal. He's not saying that you would never pray at a football game, you know, lead a prayer there. He's saying, though, don't you, when you think about your prayer life, think about what other people are thinking. How many times has someone asked you to pray and you thought, not in front of a group, I'm not. God wants you to forget yourself and think about the one-on-one -on -one relationship and prayer is fiercely private between you and your dad, your creator, your father. He wants you to be close to him. It's fiercely private, not a public display of your piety. Secondly, he says, don't make it a meritorious work. Like you think by your prayer life, you're somehow being so good that God's going to bless you more. But this is the way Jesus says it. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. A great illustration of this babbling by pagans was in the land of Israel years before Jesus when Elijah took on the prophets of Baal and they, they, they prayed to Baal in repetitive prayers trying to, in the contest that Elijah had with them at Mount Carmel for four hours. Oh, Baal, hear us! Oh, Baal, hear us! And they cut themselves and bled out to show their, their allegiance to Baal. The whole idea of pagan praying is based around pagan sacrifices. I once took our little uh, Lutheran school group to a, a Buddhist temple to show them what this other world religion was like. And the lady that gave us the tour said, you put your prayers on this sheet of paper, you put them in this beautiful cylinder, you swing it around, and every time it goes around, it's one more time that prayer is said before... Uh, before our God to get her attention. It was the helping hands Buddha. Jesus said, don't make prayer a meritorious work. Why? Because that's man-centered. You be God-centered and God's already paid all the merits through his son. Jesus giving the prayer to us, what he's about to give us, 
is the one that's already paid all the merits through his death and his resurrection. So he's saying, don't make it a meritorious work. It's always a heart-to-heart talk from someone who's been redeemed and brought into the family. You're already adopted into God's heart. So talk to him as a child would talk to his father in respectful, father-centered tones and understanding. This then is how you should pray. And he's not talking about focusing just on wording. He's talking about concepts. So let's get into it. God-centered. The first three phrases are about God and his kingdom. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember I said I'm not going to go phrase by phrase. But all three of these go together to say you're on God's train. See, we have a tendency because we're so egocentric since the fall into sin is this picture God in our world. God, my world's got this going on. It's got that going on. It's got this going on. I'm so glad you showed up that you're in my world because I want you to help me so much. So God, please come into my world. And and do you see what's going on? I need to tell you about it so that you don't. God, please, 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 please. Remember what he just said before he gave us these phrases? Your father knows what? What you need before you ask. Our father who art in heaven, I'm in your world. You're not just in mine. Hallowed be your name. These things by the Lord Jesus Christ are embedded in a beautiful display of doctrine that's taught in the whole Bible. The name of God shown to Moses, Yahweh God, Jehovah God in English, the God who what? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, would someday send his son, whose name is Jesus, which is Jehovah saves. And that son is standing in front of us, giving us the prayer. And the name of God, which he protected by the second commandment, do not misuse my name, is all about the wonderful plan for throughout history to save us all, to bring us all back to him through the death of his son and the resurrection and the love and the grace of God. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Life is about finding God and living with God and walking with God and sharing it with more and more lost souls before it's too late for them. Hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Suddenly your needs don't look so great when God's needs are on the table. Spread his love and his truth. This then is how you should pray. God-centered. Secondly, grace-driven. What is grace? Undeserved love. Unconditional forgiveness. Lavishly sharing with another person even though they've hurt you and harmed you. Grace-driven. The next two phrases. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. 
what's so beautiful about the holy, almighty, everlasting God who has a plan, who sees it even when you pray. You often make it mostly about you and not about him. Is that he still loves you and forgives you and he's already taken care of that. So he is not peeved because he, got, he took care of that on the cross of his son. Who's giving us the prayer, by the way? Who's taking care of, while he's giving the prayer, living the perfect life, taking care of all the animosity that God could have for us being so small and puny and self-centered. And he says, so when you come to him, your father knows what you need before you ask. He's a gracious God. Just say, give us this day our daily bread. Now, he's not telling you that you cannot enumerate supplications. We all know that. It's not that we give a list, it's that we worry so much about the list we give. Paul says in Philippians, give him the list. Each individual petition, give it to God in prayer. But then the peace of God which passes understanding will guard your heart and mind because you've let go. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that your spouse, or, or if you're not married, your best buddy, your best friend says, I, I have planned a week vacation to a beautiful place that I want to take you. We're going to go on a trip. And I've taken care of all the details because I love you. I know what you like. I know what you need. I know what we need for the trip. So I've taken care of all the arrangements, the food, the travel, the gas, where the gas stations, hotels are, where we're going to be at an Airbnb, what mountains we're going to see, what recreation we're going to do. I have taken care of everything. And then you say, tell me what you did about the gas. Now, what Airbnb are we staying at? Are you sure that that's the cheapest one that's in the area? What if there's too much going on at that, that there's too many people that's at that hiking trail I don't really want to be a part of that if that's going to be the case. And are, do you know that I have a food allergy? And, and what, are, what is your friend going to think when you do that? You don't believe they took care of everything, right? Now, what does God say to us about our earthly needs? I got it. I know what you need before you ask. I will give you all that you need for your body, food, clothing, and shelter. Yes, you can plan. Yes, you need to work and be productive. Yes, you need to save, but not, not near as with your heart plugged into it as much as you are when you're all worried, angry, upset, depressed about economic changes, stock market swings, housing costs, uh, for me, a drought. You're not, you don't need to be... I, I got it. When you come to me, the list, if you get, care about the list as much as you do, you are showing that you don't believe my grace. List them off and get rid of them, but don't be worrying about them. Give us this day our daily bread. Christians really are supposed to live in the moment. We were not designed to plan the trip. We were designed to go on it with God. Give us this day our daily bread. Can you think of ways Jesus taught this to his disciples? No fish all night when he called Peter and the boys, and then they caught fish in the middle of the day, right? 
When he sent out the 72, don't take any food with you. Just eat what they put in front of you. They came back and said, we had plenty to eat, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't be like the pagans who run after food and clothing and worry about all these things. Matthew 6, which is coming right after the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught this all the time. When you pray, make sure it's in the spirit of, take care of me. I'm on your trip. You're not on mine. I'm on yours. And then the second thing is, it's, I think it, it's just now starting to dawn on me after all these years, the connection of the grace of God between forgiveness and food in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Be grace-driven. The biggest thing that's ever happened in your life is God gave you his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. It is the game changer. Sinner that you still are, and you have Jesus Christ who washes away all your sins from that one single life, that one single act, you live under his grace on his trip with his promise to take care of you. And he has forgiven you of all your sins, which should have booted you off the train and out of the, the trip a long time ago. And it didn't because he forgives you and loves you. Why would he say when you pray, pray this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our tres the trespasses of those who sin against us. Because the big game changer is grace and the big sin of all grace receivers is not being grace driven for other people. Remember the parable of the guy that was forgiven a large debt and he wouldn't forgive his brother 20 bucks. It was a homemade story. Teaches the same insight, right? And Jesus said, God will go grab that guy and put him in hell because he would not forgive the way that he was forgiven. Now, why am I saying this? People, this is huge to God. If you come to him in prayer, harboring a grudge, angry and judgmental of another person, condemning them in your mind and heart, rejecting them and not wanting anything to do with them, and you come to him and you are who you are in his gracious presence, that stinks for him. It's as if his son died with no effect. And you can sense Jesus' emotion at the end of that parable I mentioned when he says to the, he has the king saying to the slave who would not forgive, shouldn't you have forgiven just as I forgive you? If you're going to pray to God, don't walk into his throne room acting like you're God who gets to judge people no matter how they hurt you. You repent of that. And you won't repent of that on your own. That's why he put it in the Lord's Prayer. Who has not prayed the Lord's Prayer and said, Oh, when you prayed that phrase, forgive, as, forgive me as I have forgiven others. Sinners cannot pray that without being confronted about their own need to forgive. It is brilliant. It is powerful. It is beautiful because 
it draws you back to the grace of God you need so desperately in order to forgive. And it makes you deal with your biggest sin about the biggest game changer that we all have. What a beautiful way of teaching us to pray. His grace in Christ is not conditioned unless once we receive it, we refuse to share it. Then we have set the conditions. And he said, I don't want to watch you do that and fall away from my grace. So I'll have you pray about it. This then is how you should pray. Forgive us as we forgive others. It's a lot to think about, isn't it? God-centered, grace-driven, and then spiritually committed. It's very easy to be committed to being the, like this is August, so it's football season, to be committed at the best training for the best season ever. It's very easy to be very committed to being a good boyfriend or girlfriend so you can win her or him over for uh, a spouse. It's very easy to try to be the best Christian if you think it's going to give you a lot of bennies in the body of Christ or before God. But to be committed because you love God, that's only created by the power of the grace-filled Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says in the next two phrases, this then is how you should pray. Lead me not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one. What's your biggest aspiration? Grace-filled obedience to God, which makes me serve God and people. When you go to God in prayer, let's talk about that, God says, more than we talk about degrees, income, health, situations corrected, make people be nice to me. <laughs> let's talk about grace-filled Obedience to God, which leads you to serve God and others from a pure heart. He says, pray to me about that. You know why? That's your biggest problem. You're tempted so easily. It started at the tree with Adam and Eve, and it's still happening to every one of us here today. And sometimes we in the church are just guilty of talking about all the other things and not talking about that great temptation we all have to be selfish and to be... Following the evil one instead of following the loving Heavenly Father. Did you know that's where the prayer actually ends? This then is how you should pray. But some copyists, recognizing that the thrust of the prayer was God-centered and wanted to finish it with a doxology, early on in the handmade copies of the New Testament scriptures, some copyists wrote a doxology for the end of the Lord's Prayer. We all say it in Protestant churches, but it really wasn't in the original text, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's consistent with all of Scripture, but it's beautiful, and it goes like this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. See how it starts? God-centered, and then for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So when you say the Lord's Prayer, you're coming into the throne room of God 
you're coming back to him. How should you pray? And all of your prayers, all of your prayers should in content sound like the Lord's Prayer if you're praying how God wants you to pray. Um, it was our now sainted senior pastor, Harold Johnny, that used to say this all the time. If you want to know if you're growing in prayer, compare the, the things that you say to God in prayer to the Lord's Prayer, and the closer they are together, the more mature you are in your prayer life. So if we pray this way, go to that next slide, what will be the result? One is, we'll be awake spiritually a whole lot more, won't we? We'll understand God a whole lot more, and we'll feel our need for redemption and forgiveness a whole lot more, because this is impossible to do perfectly as a poor sinner that we are. But we will be very pleasing to God. Just give you a couple of comforts as we close. In Isaiah, it says, I dwell in a high and lofty place. I've been holding God up in a high and lofty place throughout the sermon because that's what Jesus does with the Lord's Prayer. He says, I dwell in a high and lofty place. But this is the next line in Isaiah. It says, and with those who are contrite and humble of heart. If you come into the throne room of God and say, I do believe, help me with my unbelief. I do want to pray in a way that pleases you. Help me pray in a way that pleases you. God says, I dwell with you. I'm happy with your prayer life because you come in with the heart being right. Secondly, there's a passage in Romans chapter 8, starts at verse 26, that you just got to remember. It's to us people suffering. And this is what he says. Paul, we do not know how to pray as we ought. Remember what's next? But God, the Holy Spirit, prays for us with words and utterances that we don't understand. And the Father knows the Spirit and understands Him even though we don't. Isn't that beautiful? You do your best. You're covered by grace. He loves you that you get the Lord's Prayer and this then is how you should pray. But he's not looking for perfection as much as direction. And he says, I got you covered because I gave you in grace my Holy Spirit and he and I even do the praying for you. <laughs> so even when you don't know how to pray, this then is how you should pray. You can say, thank you, Lord, that in your mercy you gave me not only your son, but you gave me your Holy Spirit. And since I know he's praying for me today, I'm done. I'm giving all my concerns to you. Handle it. Amen.